portion of scripture to us. We'll turn once again to the words that we find in verse 8 of this chapter as we look to bring the word of God before us this morning. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I want to look this morning with the Lord's help at temptation resisted in Babylon. Temptation resisted in Babylon. And we shall look at it under two headings. First of all, the offering that Daniel refused. And secondly, the alternative offering that Daniel requested. So let's look then at our first heading then today. The offering that Daniel refused. In the lead up to this story, much has happened. We see in the first two verses that Jerusalem has been besieged and King Nebuchadnezzar has taken many captive. We see that a certain type of people have been sought by Aspenas in order that they would be redirected in how to live their lives. They were going to be taken back to Babylon where they were going to be introduced to a re-education system in order to slowly over the course of three years seek to withdraw from the memory of these Hebrew men everything that they had heard of with regard to the Lord Yahweh and to introduce them instead to gods of Babylon like Bel and other gods. They have also been given new names by this man, Aspenas. And it is at this point, as we, they are given these new names, that we pick up the story today. And we have to remember that many commentators and scholars will tell us, and the word of God, as we have read already, has told us that they were children, Daniel and his men, and his friends. It is reckoned that they would have been somewhere between the ages of 14 to 18 years of age at this time. And as we go through, particularly the second part of the sermon, and as we go through verses 8 to 16, I want to show you, and I want, by the help of the Lord, to encourage you to see the glory of the Word of God. You have heard, I'm sure, time and time again, how this book is glorious. I want to show you this morning, with the Lord's help, eight verses that become more and more amazing, verse by verse, and more and more glorious, verse by verse. It is obvious from this chapter that Daniel is the chief spokesman amongst this band of brothers. And that will no doubt be because he has from all eternity been chosen by the Lord to hold a prophetic office with regard to being able to share and to tell of the meanings of visions and dreams. They begin for Daniel in Daniel chapter 2 and in verse 1 and 2. 
But many people are of the opinion that the book of Daniel is all about this group of four men and the courageous stand that they take. And to a degree it is. But this book is also more about God himself and how the Lord takes hold of a situation and works in a situation where things are hard and difficult. And we see in this chapter time and time again the hand of the Lord at work in the midst of the situation that these people find themselves in now as they are captives. This verse here, verse 8, is the, the, the main verse of Daniel chapter 1. And I would say that this verse here, verse 8, is the main verse in the entire book of Daniel, as Daniel purposes in his heart not to defile the Lord. This is one of the key verses in the whole word of God. It is a magnificent verse, this verse that we have before us, because it speaks of somebody who is devoted to God in his life. That's what these men were, purposing in their heart, as the ESV puts it, resolving in their heart. And the word resolving is a wonderful word, because when you look up the word resolving, what it actually means, it is to be devoted and committed to a particular course of action. That is what is taking place here with regard to Daniel and his friends. And I want to say something else about what they are doing here. As their hearts, as they are purposing their hearts, preparing to make a stand. I want to tell you this, that as they do that, that that is just as much a work, a miracle work, as it is when Daniel is in the lion's den and when his three friends are in the fiery furnace. Because this stand that these men are taking means certain death. But nevertheless, they know the consequences and they decide amongst themselves. They make the pact and they decide that no matter what, they are going to stand up for the Lord. No matter the consequences. And if it means putting their lives at risk, then so be it. They are not going to defile the Lord. Warren Wearsby has a wonderful comment about this verse. And this is what he says. A heart that loves the Lord, that trusts the Lord, and therefore obeys the Lord, has little difficulty making the right choices and trusting God to take care of the consequences. This is Daniel and his friends. Trusting the Lord to take care of the consequences. And as we read this chapter, we wonder, why has it taken Daniel to reach Varshi to make a stand? We ask the question, when they were being led from Jerusalem into captivity, when they made that 500-mile trek, why, Daniel, don't you make a stand there and then? Why, Daniel, don't you make a stand in verse 7 when Azariah, this, not Azariah, but 
when the chief of the eunuchs, uh, Ashpenaz, changes their names, their God-glorifying names that they had been given at birth to honour the Lord God. And their names have been removed and changed in Babylon to worship false gods. Why, why, Daniel, don't you make a stand here? There's no stand by Daniel until verse 8. And the reason for that is because in verse 8, Daniel reaches the point where restraint has to be applied. Because for Daniel and his friends, they wouldn't have cared what their names were changed to. Because they knew in their hearts what their names meant. And they knew in their hearts the Lord God. And their attitude would have been, I don't care less what you call me. And you can be sure that when these four men were together, they would have been calling themselves by the names of their birth and not their new names that they had been given by Aspenas. But now when it comes, you see, to the king's meat and to the wine, restraint has to be applied. Why? Why now, Daniel? Well, we sang in verse, in Psalm 141, why? Psalm 141, these men knew the words of the psalmist, incline not thine heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquities, and let me not eat of their dainties. The word dainties simply means, it is better put in the ESV, let me not eat of their delicacies. And as they knew the words of the psalmist, so also they would have known the words of Solomon of old. And they would have been remembering the words of Proverbs 23, when thou sittest with the ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat. And if thou be a man given to appetite, be not desirous of these dainties, they are deceitful meat. There's that word again. You see, for these men, when it comes between a choice of the finest meat and the finest wine and the word of God, they are going to choose every time the word of God. And we can be here and we can be asking and we can be thinking and we can be meditating and we can be saying to ourselves, well, Daniel, is this not rather an extreme course of action? What's the big deal? Why don't you just eat the finest food and the finest wine? Daniel, people would say, do you not realize that you could lose your head over this? Daniel, do you not realize that you could go to the dungeons over this? Daniel, do you not realize that you could be severely chastised because of this? Daniel, do you not realize the influence that you could have if you just simply... Take what is given to you. You could rise all the way to the very top. You could receive the main post. You could be given a place of tremendous authority. What a privilege that would be. For somebody who came from Jerusalem. Is that not enough, Daniel? But that was not enough for Daniel. Daniel's reply would have been simply this. I would rather die and to eat the meat and drink 
Not just him, but his three friends too. I would rather go to the dungeon. You see, nothing really changes with regard to the word of God and honouring God. Centuries down the line, we have brothers and sisters in Christ. And they are right now in chains and in prison for their faith in Christ. And while we are found worshipping here, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you and I are going to spend eternity with, will be put to death for their faith. Because they will not recant. They have met the Lord. They have been brought up under a false religion. And they have met the Lord. And they know the truth of the living God. And they are being imprisoned. And they will simply say, I will not eat of the meat and drink. And it's not meat and drink and wine that they are offered in prison. At this moment in time. As we prepare to go home for our Sunday roasts. You know, it's interesting the way food is mentioned time and time again with regard to temptations. Temptation, food in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Temptation of food with Christ in the wilderness. And here we have the temptation of food once again. Let's consider then some of the reasons why Daniel and his friends were adamant that they would not take this food. One of the reasons that they would simply refuse to take this food is this. It's because as the palace caterers would have prepared the food. And as it sought to leave the palace to where they were. This food would have been taken into the temple. And this food in these days, as the custom was, was set before the false gods. And this food was what we would call intertwined with the worship of the false gods. That was the custom of the day in Babylon. That the food was brought into the place of worship of Baal and other gods. And Daniel and his friends knew that. And so therefore they chose to have no part of it. They were prepared to starve rather than eat this meat and wine that at first stopped off at a place of false worship before being given to them. But this wouldn't have been the only reason because also the finest vegetables would also have been brought to the temple there too. The vegetables that these men were originally would have taken and did eventually take. But more than that, they see that what is actually taking place here is that they are remembering what they have been born and brought up with regard to the mosaic, mosaic food laws. They are remembering what they grew up with as children. And they are remembering what they saw. And they are remembering the difference that there was between the clean and the unclean animals. And they know without a doubt that in Babylon things were different for two reasons alone. There was no... Uh, regard to how an animal was killed and there was no difference with regard to whether an animal was clean or unclean before it was eaten. That would have been another reason as they remembered the law of the Levitical food 
that they had been brought up within their days. They make a stand against that. But more than anything else, we see that they make a stand because they realize and they see that the aim of this fine food was to pamper the flesh. It was all a trap. That's what is behind this. And these men know that. And let's remember for a moment that it wasn't just four men that were selected. There would have been many others selected. Those of good appearance, those of good intelligence that we read about in verses 3, 4 and 5. But they would have taken the food. And they would have taken the wine. And they stood not for the truth. You see, for Daniel and his friends, he could see that there was a hook here with bait on it. And the bait was luxury. What King Nebuchadnezzar sought to do was bit by bit feed them and give them the finest things. It wasn't to punish them in captivity. It was to slowly, bit by bit, get them to forget, bit by bit, over a course of three years to forget all about their Christian upbringing. But these youths, you see, they know. They know and they see the devil's snare. And they see through it. And all they desire is simply this, is to be kept by the Lord, to honour the Lord. And so they make this stand. And it's remarkable when you read that Daniel goes to this man, Aspenas, and he comes to him, and he comes with his proposal. And his proposal is that these band of brothers are not going to eat the meat, and they are not going to drink the wine. You know, have you ever read verse 8 and thought to yourself, have you ever seen how courteous Daniel is? Have you ever noticed how it is worded? Have you ever noticed the humble manner in which he addresses Aspenas? In Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 6, we read this with regard To the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is where Daniel and his friends are at this moment in time. This is Daniel's request. And Daniel dares to bring this request to Ashpenaz and to say, no matter what, we four are not eating the meat and we four are not drinking the wine. And so we look secondly at our next heading which is the alternative the alternative offering that Daniel requests. And you have that in verses 9 to 16. And this is where this portion of scripture becomes more and more amazing verse by verse we see three times in the word in this chapter of how God gave 
We see in verse 2 how God gave over Jerusalem. And the Lord God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord has reached the point where he says, enough is enough. The temple that they had in Babylon, in, in Jerusalem, was being used for false worship. And it was being desecrated. And God says no more. And so they are led into captivity. And then you find in verse 9 here that we read these words. And the Lord God gave Daniel favour and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And then finally we read in verse 17 of God giving again. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in learning and wisdom. You see, the Lord in this chapter is working in the background. And there's a miraculous work about to take place. There's an incredible work about to take place. You see, divine work is taking place in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar knows absolutely nothing about it. One of the reasons that I wanted to read this portion to you in the authorised version is because in verse 9 we read this, And God brought Daniel into favour and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Tender love. Imagine. Tender love. The word that we have in the ESV is compassionate. Compassion. But I want to say this, my friends, that anyone who is in a relationship of tender love, they are in a God-given relationship. Tender love. What else but the Lord could have made a relationship like that be a relationship of tender love? A relationship where a man is sent by King Nebuchadnezzar to find somebody to fit the profile in order that they would one day serve the king. A man who changes his name from Daniel to Belshazzar. And yet, it is here said before us that Daniel has tender love for Only the Lord can do that. And this could only have come from the talks and the witness of this man of God, even whilst being captive in Babylon. You see, there's another wonderful word in the book of Proverbs, and this is what it says. Proverbs 16, 7 says this, When a man's ways please the Lord, he can make even his enemies to be at peace with him. And that's what you have here in Babylon. The Lord is already showing favour. The Lord is already working in the heart of Aspenaz. The Lord is already creating a friendship and a relationship before them. Now think of this. Most eunuchs in Aspenazes at this moment in time, what would they have done? They would have gone straight to King Nebuchadnezzar, they would have reported the situation, and they would have said, these men refuse to eat your meat and your drink. And they would have done that in a heartbeat in order to promote their honesty and in the hope that they would get a reward from King Nebuchadnezzar. But have you ever read this on stock to think, not as penas? 
but because the Lord is working in his heart. Exactly as it was when the Lord was working in the heart of the keeper of the prison, when Joseph was imprisoned. And here we have a relationship of tender love that is set before us. And then we read in verse 10, amazingly, do you read in verse 10 how we don't hear that Aspinas is raging, fuming, shouting, livid? Have you ever read his reply? I fear, my Lord, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should you see your face worsening, liking to the children? It's almost as if he's saying, it's not an outright refusal. It's almost as if this man is saying to them, you know, Daniel, I would like to help you, but my hands are tied. I am responsible for your nourishment. And if anything happens to you, and if you don't take the nourishment that you are meant to take, it is me who will be punished and put to death. It's almost as if this man, Aspinas, is justifying to Daniel and his friends, rather than going straight to the king and telling him and seeking a reward instead. Have you ever read the words that we have in verse 10 and noticed the civil tone that this chief of the eunuchs has to these four godly men? There's no rage there. And yet you have a blatant disobedience with regard to the king's request. And another reason why I wanted to read from the authorised version is because we read in verse 11... We read of another person coming into the frame. We have four men and we have Aspenas. And now in verse 11 we have another man by the name of Melsar. Now Melsar in other versions of the Bible is a title given to a man. It is, an of, it is not a name. But when I read it in the authorised version... I look at it as a man's name. And that's how I think of this man, Melsa. That is his name. And I prefer to think of him as an official guardian of a lesser rank than Aspenas. And he now is introduced into this equation. And what do we find happening here? Amazingly, the Lord is working in this man's heart, exactly the same as he is working in the heart of Aspenas. And he is dealing with them in the same way. This is the man that Aspenas has set aside to look after these men and to give them their food and their drink. And then we find that in verse 12, Daniel doesn't give up. He seeks to this lower rank servant. And he comes to him and he says to him, Prove thy servants, prove us ten days. That's all we are asking. He doesn't give him a chance to say anything else. He says to him, Just give us ten days. It's a humble reply. Notice the way Daniel speaks to this man again. It's not in defiance, it is in humility. God-given humility. 
this 10-day trial that he requests. I don't think there's anything specific with regard to the word 10. I don't think there's anything symbolic in it. I think it is simply 10 days is more than enough to see on somebody's face and frame if they are getting frail through through lack of nourishment. My own mother has been in in hospital for the last 10 days and we can see the frailty of lack of nourishment within these 10 days. You You can understand that. 10 days, that's all he asks for. Ten days, just enough that to prove that no harm will come to us. That's what this man asks for. Prove thy servants ten days. And again, he doesn't give Melisar a chance to come back in. He keeps going, Daniel. He keeps going. And then he says to them, If at the end of ten days there's a problem, you deal with us as you see fit. You deal with it as you see fit. Now think of it. Ten days of vegetables. Have you ever thought of the diet that these men had for ten days? Ten days of vegetables. Ten days of fruit. Ten days of lentils. Ten days of beans. Ten days of herbs. What he is asking for is an absolutely impossible request. Humanly speaking. Asking for this food instead of the meat and all the delicacies from the palace. This is a ten day trial of God's will. What is the Lord going to do now? Well he tells them, deal with us accordingly. Just give us ten days. And these men, you see, they simply just place their confidence in the Lord. They have made up their mind. Just as we read in Daniel chapter 3, with regard to Shetrach, Meshach and Abednego, with regard to not bowing before King Nebuchadnezzar's image, we read this. And they said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are careful not to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You see, there's defiance there, but there's no defiance with Daniel. But where do you think these words came from in Daniel chapter 3? It comes from the stand that they take in Daniel chapter 1. And now we see amazingly, incredibly, this impossible request. What is the Lord going to do now? We see that the hand of the Lord is working right throughout this chapter. And then we see in verse 14, incredibly, amazingly, so Melzar consented to them on this matter. For 10 days. Isn't that incredible? Have you ever thought of that? He gave in. He agreed. Why does he agree? Because the Lord is working in his heart. 
The Lord is working in the heart of Melser before even Daniel comes to him with his ten-day request. Breakfast, lunch, supper, vegetables. Seriously. It's like eating lettuce when you could have steak. When you think of it in human terms. I don't think there's anybody here who's ever had the same meal for 10 days. I'm sure if I asked you to put up your hand, you could. You wouldn't. I remember last year, to my shame, myself and Chrissy made a huge pan of one of my favourite foods. Potato soup with flank. And Chrissy had it for two nights. Liam and Kiva were thoroughly disgusted that we were eating food like that. I had it for five nights. And by the end of the fifth night, I was glad that there wasn't enough for a sixth night. Can you see what they're eating? Ten days. And you see, with this restricted diet that they have for 10 days, while they're eating these vegetables and these beans, they are reminding themselves that they are a people of God in a foreign land. And they are reminding themselves that they are dependent upon the creator of this world. And they are dependent upon the Lord God, Jehovah. And not dependent in any way whatsoever upon King Nebuchadnezzar. You ever wondered where their four portions of food ended up for these days? Well, somebody scored. Was it the chef? Was it Melser? Was it Aspinas? We don't know. But what we do know amazingly, incredibly, is that this was hidden from King Nebuchadnezzar. He knew nothing about this ten-day period of eating this food. And amazingly then, if you think the story can't become even any more incredible, you read in verse 15 that it continues to become more incredible because you read that after 10 days their countenances appeared fatter and fairer than any of the other people there. They were better nourished, proving that God is with them. And then you find in verse 16 that this 10-day trial is now going to become their permanent menu. Three years. Three years of eating the same food. Verse 16, there's Melzer took away the portion of meat and wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. And for these three years, King Nebuchadnezzar knew nothing about it. Aren't these words magnificent? Aren't these words incredible? Aren't these words majestic? Don't these words from verse 8 to 9 to 10 all the way to 16 fill our hearts with joy? That even when our times come, the hand of the Lord is going before us. You know, the best thing about this experience wasn't that they were delivered from compromise. 
the best thing about this wonderful experience is that it developed these men to become Christ-like. And is that not your hope? And is that not my hope today? Maybe there's somebody in here today and you're going through a 10-day trial. Maybe you're going through a trial that nobody else knows about, but the Lord knows about it. And the Lord, my friend, will go before you in and through that trial. Maybe you're here today and you're going through hard providences, the same as Daniel and his friends. You bring these things to the Lord in prayer, and the Lord will be with you. There is nothing more wonderful in this world than being able to praise the Lord as you go through the storms of life. And sometimes it's not at that moment that you do it, but it's afterwards on reflection that you see the hand of the Lord is before us. And that is my hope and prayer for each and every single one of us is that we would be like Daniel, Christ-like. Because for you and I, my friends, as wonderful as it is that we will yet spend eternity with the Lord in glory forever and ever, it is equally wonderful for you and I to be kept by the Lord in this world. And his keeping is everything in the good days and in the bad days in the hard days and in the easier days I remember being at a fellowship many years ago one of the first fellowships that I and if I've said this before forgive me we were in a house in Babel and I had only just become a Christian about six months before and there was an elder there and he said What amazes me today is not the fact that the Lord has come into my life, but that the Lord has kept me. And I sat in the living room and I thought, well, that is just absolute nonsense. What on earth can be more amazing than being saved by the Lord? But you know, he was right. It's to be kept in this world until we are called home to glory. And my hope and prayer is, my friends, that as we are all found gathered here today, in the fullness of time, each and every single one of us will be found gathered up in glory, worshipping the Lord, worshipping him who said, it is finished. What I thought that would be. Until then, we must persevere and until then we will rise from here today with these triumphant words in conclusion of our singing stand up stand 